As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. Um, uh, I'm Tim Wyatt, and as always, I'm joined by my dad, John Wyatt. Hi, John. Hi. Yes, we're carrying on with the evolution that's right, yeah. Um, so murky up waters. Our, yeah, the murky waters of evolution. Uh, hoping to cast a, a modicum of, of light. <laughs> you reckon? Potentially more heat than light, but we'll see how, we'll see how we get on. Um, we, last week we kind of, kind of sketched out why this topic has become so contentious and how maybe a better way of going about talking about it as brothers and Christians who disagree. Um, and and then we looked at some of the things that we agree on. God is the creator of the universe. Uh, uh, and then also some of the... We started to work our way through what you see as the kind of five fundamental issues uh, which have divided Christians. Uh, so that's the age of the universe, thousands of years versus hundreds of millions. Um, and then kind of the origin of species, uh, the idea of common descent that, that species kind of did uh, evolved from, from common ancestors. Um we we now wanted to talk about uh, the kind of mechanism of, of of selection, and sometimes you know people will have heard the phrase natural selection. Do you want to just kind of briefly explain what that is for those who can't remember their GCSE biology <laughs> lessons? Yes. Yeah. So natural selection uh, was a phrase that uh, Darwin himself came up with, and at one level, it's just common sense. Uh, that the, the the basic idea is that. Um, Spontaneous mutations occur within the uh, DNA code and that most of those mutations will be damaging and will mean that the organisms either die straight away or uh, severely abnormal in some way. But very occasionally there will be a spontaneous mutation which actually brings some advantage to the species and this is usually called evolutionary fitness and... um, the fitness means that there's a greater chance that they will then be able to pass their um, their descendants that, that will survive. They will be able to pass this new mutated genome on to the next generation. And so the way it's perceived is that you have a whole population, you know, maybe several thousand of a particular species. Um, one of them has this uh, new mutation which means they have more fitness. And then what's going to happen is over the next generations, and it may take another 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 generations, gradually 
this new, the descendants of this new uh, organism with its mutation will gradually replace the old ones. And if we want to think about natural selection, the pandemic of what was happening with the coronaviruses is a beautiful example of natural selection at work. Example. A terrible example, I'm afraid. Yeah, biologically, both beautiful and terrible. Because what we... Do you remember how those new mutations happened? And we heard, yes, there's a new mutation happening in South Africa or wherever it was. It, apparently there was one in the UK. Was it... Um, the first mutation happened in Kent, in one individual right. in Kent. And yet, astonishingly, what we discovered was a few weeks or months later the vast majority of all the infections that were taking place had come from this one mutation. Mm -hmm. And so that is an, an example of natural selection in, in process. So uh, Jacques Monod, who's a famous uh, biologist, he summarized it all and said it was chance and necessity. There, there was chance, the mutation, and then there was necessity, which was these iron laws of survival, reproduction, working out. The, the fundamental change uh, that that's the mechanism by which evolution takes place and i guess as you've kind of illustrated with with the covid example um this is this is just on a micro level it's observable fact you know it's not it's not really just a kind of spurious idea but we have seen it we can see it take place because things like viruses rep reproduce at such a higher rate than than kind of larger organisms you know we can observe it in in cells in a petri dish and and, and even in some kind of very small kind of um, organisms happening in real time, we can see the, the ones with, with advantageous mutations uh, gradually uh, taking over and evolving and changing. Therefore, is there any reason to believe this isn't also happening on a kind of macro scale, on a larger scale over millions of years? Is this just kind of a, a settled issue in your mind? Well, the, the, the question is, yes, we can see how natural selection works for evolutionary mutations within species but what is the evidence that this process can actually change to a mutation to another species i mean the the coronavirus mutants remained coronaviruses they didn't become smallpox virus they didn't become an hiv virus um is it conceivable that um that natural selection can lead to the change of a new species and 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 this is where it becomes much more controversial uh, the standard view is yes um natural selection can explain all the um all the billions of species that have evolved and that there was a from one single common ancestor there was one cell originally uh, from which every single organism on the on the planet is derived from that common ancestor um but there are, interestingly, there's a definite move amongst evolutionary biologists to argue that that sim rather simplistic understanding of natural selection, which is what Darwin and others came up with, cannot really explain uh, all the, um, the the variation of of life on the planet. And and so those who are uh, particularly uh, in in within where they would call themselves uh, intelligent design advocates of intelligent design argue that random fluctuation uh, and mutations cannot explain the evolution of complexity the extraordinary complexity that we see in certain organisms 
And in particular, how can random selection explain how you end up with this exquisitely apparently designed mechanism inside the nucleus, which stores information according to an arbitrary code, which then has a decoding section which can decode this arbitrary line of of, of amino acids and then use that to build proteins. They say to argue that all that happens simply by processes of random mutation beggars belief. Uh, and and it, I guess that also ties in with the idea that some people have a huge problem with natural selection from a Christian perspective because it allows you to kind of write God's kind of ongoing creative process out of the picture. And again, this is why Darwin was so contentious at the time is because for the first time there was a mechanism to say how a a group of, of organisms could change in quite dramatic ways without there being a guiding hand, as Darwin understood it, without there being someone overseeing the whole process and the christians i think to this day who find that problematic because um it it appears to to undermine god's kind of ongoing role how how do you think about that particular issue well it's interesting you know because the more you unpick the the question of um natural selection from a christian point of view the more complex and problematic it becomes because if you take one one issue is chance. Well, of course, in a in a sort of atheistic, materialistic universe, chance has some kind of meaning. It's just random. It has no fundamental process. It's simply a random event. But then if you ask yourself, from a Christian theological perspective, is there such a thing as chance? I think you could argue that there is no such thing as chance, that that actually the Bible says that every event, whether it's so-called, quote, random, or whether it's a mechanistically understood, it's still part of God's action. And therefore, every random mutation, in a sense, is authored by God. It's not it's not a genuinely random event from a theological point of view. That's That's one perspective. And then, second, what do we mean by these natural laws of... Of selection, well, theologically speaking, natural laws can be seen as simply the regularities of the way that God works in the world. Why does something fall under gravity? Uh, answer: Because God Himself stretches the laws, stretches space-time, in order to cause an acceleration force. Is everything that happens is underpinned by the activity of God who is holding everything together so so both the chance and the quotes necessity are both reflections of God himself working in the world and and, and so I, I think you can see that from a theological point of view these things become much more complex and much more problematic is there really a difference between a God who is working through um, so-called regularities, natural forces, and a God who is intervening at a particular point. It, it's all God's work. Hmm. I guess at this point we're kind of veering towards quite philosophical questions about kind of the determinism of an all-powerful God and and um, how can can God, if God is all-powerful, can, can he be said to kind of, can anything be said to not to be his direct kind of choice and, and, and action? Um yeah, and, and, you know, and I have to say, having reflected 
for many years on some of these deep mysteries. This is where I I do personally struggle with the Christians who regard the processes of genetic mutation as as just an, a natural way that God is using to create the universe. You know, because I've heard scientists who are Christians say, you know, isn't mutation a wonderful process? Because this is the way that God makes and designs. Um, organisms, including human beings, because you know, as a paediatrician, I just can't quite go there. I, as a paediatrician, have seen the devastating consequences of genetic mutations for um, for individual lives. I've seen uh, children whose lives have been completely destroyed by a genetic mutation. I've seen families who've been deeply damaged and wounded. Uh, and whose lives have been affected and causing immense suffering and so on. And to just say, isn't it wonderful how God uses these mutations, is something I, I can't go there, really. So, so th this is partly why um, our understanding of the brokenness of the world, um, that, that in some way these genetic diseases are, are point towards... A, a brokenness towards a, a world which is which is groaning. I mean, to use the language of the Bible, uh, the the world is groaning in childbirth. It it hasn't come yet to its uh, uh, to its eventual state, and 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 so there's a mystery here. I, I suppose what I want to say is that biblically and theologically, the mystery of the of of, of a fallen, broken world in which genetic mutations occur. They they can be beneficial, but they also cause immense damage and suffering. Is there a parallel there with other aspects of the kind of created order which um, we find problematic? I mean, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is kind of natural disasters, volcanoes and, and earthquakes have caused, you know, countless suffering for humans uh down the millennia and yet they're also kind of a necessary part of, of kind of how habitats develop you know and there are entire kind of islands that exist because and have that particular kind of soil necessary for for, for various species to thrive because of a volcanic eruption many years ago uh, is that just a reality of living in a broken world and maybe mutations are just, are just another facet of that, that that we are hurt by a lot of necessary parts of, of this world developing and growing well, I think this is deeply mysterious and, and, and a difficult area, and it's one which I know a number of Christians who are scientists and, and theologians who, who wrestle with these issues, and I know there are, there's deep um, differences in, in, in the way uh, we understand these, these complex issues. And, and I think it drives me again to this sense of humility, you know, that we... That we we need to recognise there are many things we don't understand. Uh, the many things that we struggle with, um, and we shouldn't, we, whatever position we take, we shouldn't take such a sort of sublimely confident view that that we've got this sus, that we really understand how this all works, um, and particularly how God uses um, the apparently broken nature of 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 the world. You know, I think of Jesus weeping at the grave of Lazarus and others. Um, you could say, well, you know, Lazarus' death is just a 
biological process. There has to be death, biological death, otherwise species would completely overwhelm the ecosystem. And yet Jesus doesn't treat uh, death as just a biological phenomenon. There's 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 a deep uh, engagement there. So I think I just I think ultimately to me there there are deep mysteries here, and and I think there are problems with any one solution. Whether whether you verge towards the view that natural selection is the way that God uses the world, or you or you say no, God is intervening specifically, but is God still creating? variations in genetic code mutations are these part of god's involvement or is is this um just a mechanism just going wrong from time to time you're listening to matters of life and death a podcast from premier unbelievable We should probably move on to one of our, some of the other um, kind of key dividing lines in this debate. Um, one that comes up a lot, as you'll be aware, is is how do we understand kind of Adam and Eve's place in, in this discussion? Uh, and that's really about was there ever kind of biologically, historically, an original man, an original woman? Uh, if you believe in kind of evolution, did that did they? Well, there was this kind of this, there were there was a kind of hominid monkey common ancestor, and at some point from that evolved one man and one woman which we're all related to or 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 in fact did did human beings kind of come from a population of hominids more than two uh and it was a it was a much more kind of gradual process yes and again this is uh an extremely divisive and uh and complex issue but certainly amongst um evolutionary biologists including christians who are experts in genetics and population genetics and so on, there does seem to be a kind of consensus emerging. And and that is that if you look back into the species of Homo sapiens, they say there was never a period when there were less than, say, a thousand uh, individuals um, at any one time. And what was happening during human evolution was, as we talked about before, there's the gradual emergence of new uh, new individuals and uh, and then the gradual replacement of this population of a thousand or more hominids uh, by the new variant and so on and so on and so it is argued that when we come to modern human beings um, that um, uh, and, and Adam and Eve as described in the Bible they they would have been uh, in, in reality, there was this process of a gradual of a whole population gradually emerging, and that there never was a, a single couple uh, who, as described in in the in the Genesis era, and um, I I think this is a, a deeply difficult and, and and challenging issue. I think the first thing to say is I think one needs a certain amount of scepticism about the assured results of population genetics because, you know, in, in the time I've been working in science, I've seen uh, big changes in uh, the understanding of human evolution, in the timescale, in the, where it happened. Uh, and, and I think it's perfectly possible that in the next 50 years, you know, new discoveries, new findings, new mathematical models, you know, we now realise, blah, 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 blah. So, so I think one 
has to be cautious before you just say, well, yes, science has solved this problem. I think, I think it hasn't, and I think there's going to be continuing debate and discussion scientifically. But I, I think the the question of whether there was an original Adam and Eve, um, it, it is clearly relevant when one comes to to reading. Um, the scriptures, and not just the Old Testament, but of course the New Testament, where the um, Paul, in particular, refers repeatedly to um, the to Adam and his his role in the human race, and then to the fall of Adam, and of course Jesus is described as the second Adam. And I think historically, if you look over two thousand years, uh, the vast majority of biblical interpreters and theologians have viewed this as being re referenced to a genuine historical individual rather than a kind of representative um, everyman, as I've heard it described, or, you know, that um, Adam is just a mythical uh, invention who describes everyman. I don't know, what you're, what's your thinking on, on that and what have you, what have you heard? Yeah, I mean, I share your kind of sense of holding things lightly because I, you know, I remember when this was being discussed when I was a kind of a young teenager. I remember being confidently assured by someone that, you know, interestingly, modern genetics has actually found evidence that there was we are all related to one man and one woman, and that seems to have now changed in the following kind of twenty years. And so, I, and as you say, I'm sure it will change again. I, I would be very reluctant as a complete non-expert to kind of nail my colours to any mast here and. I'm kind of just waiting and seeing. Um, I think I, I'm not particularly worried if if the science really does kind of coalesce around this idea that there was a population of hominids from which Homo sapiens emerged gradually rather than two individuals. Because I, I think that, like, frankly, I, I've already come to a way of understanding and reading Genesis, which says that this is not a literalistic kind of science textbook account, but this is a, uh, a poetic theological um, even in some cases kind of polemical uh, uh, explanation of of kind of deep truths about God as creator. But it's not... And, I, and if, if I'm happy to believe that about Genesis 1, you know, and about the days of creation and when the sun emerged and all that stuff, I don't really see why Genesis 2 and, and accounts of Adam and Eve would have to suddenly be flipped into reading them as being kind of resolutely, resolutely literal. And I, you know, I, I hear that and, and I have some sympathy with it. I, where I think the rubber really hits the road is is the final big division. I mean, that is about a space-time historical fall. Uh, so orthodox uh, Christianity um, for nearly 2,000 years has viewed there being one moment when human beings rebelled against God and that that moment happened in a particular space-time point and that it then has widespread and catastrophic consequences. And there's definitely a movement among a number of uh, scientists who are Christians uh, to argue that actually that didn't happen, that there was no fall, that this is a misunderstanding of um, of the Bible and that and they would go on to say that therefore there's a sense in which the natural world is not fallen. It is simply the natural world. 
um, and this is uh, and 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 there was no point at which um, evil enters into the world. It's this is just nat- and so for instance, you know, to to talk about a mutation being damaging or you know is is they say it's just a mutation you know a virus is just a virus it's not there is no such thing as natural evil the only evil there is in the world they say is evil which comes from human choices human decisions the rest of nature is not fallen or evil in that sense hmm yeah, this is a really, I think, one of probably not the most kind of interesting for me kind of points of contention to tr- and kind of knots to unravel. Um, because as you say, the, the kind of, it's clear from kind of, again, from kind of scientific accounts that that injury, predation, death, illness has, has, has had to have been occurring for millions of years before there were any hominids at all, let alone the actual homo sapiens who could you know fall and and rebel and and in the biblical account kind of bring in death and crying and pain and disease into into the natural order so you either say the fall didn't happen in in time in history and kind of is is this kind of more spiritual event which um works backwards and forwards and that kind of thing or as you say you take this kind of other view which is that actually illness death pain um is not outside of that occurring to human beings is actually not a representation of evil at all and is just um part of god's good perfect creation running along rumbling along as it always has done um both of those i can see have have huge kind of problems i'm particularly i'm particularly reluctant to go along with the idea that um that that creation is isn't fallen uh primarily because it just directly contradicts a lot of the new, Te- the new testament where you know the groaning of creation and 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 also the old testament about about how um you know god created things that were good and and they have been kind of perverted and corrupted but by, by humans uh, decision to rebel against his good order and his good rule and about how the the prophecies of of the new earth the prophecies of of god restoring things aren't just to do with human beings they're about the lion lying down with the lamb you know they're about god undoing some of the the predation the death the illness the destruction that we see that doesn't affect human beings that it affects affects the rest of creation yeah and i think again you know to come off the fence i find um i am persuaded by the evidence for an old earth um, and for, I am persuaded for the evidence for common descent that we are, um, in terms of our biology, we are all interrelated uh, with other organisms on the planet and have descended from other organisms on the planet. But I have difficulty with natural selection, with with believing that this entirely. I think I think the mystery of how. Um, selection actually occurs is is deeply mysterious and and no doubt there's more to be understood in the future and I I do I feel reluctant to throw away 2,000 years of Christian teaching about uh, the nature of the fall and the implications of the fall on creation and so on and say oh the Christians over the last 2,000 years just got it wrong and actually um, we now understand that the fall never happened 
Um, but I do see the problems, you know, in, in all the positions. And slightly tongue-in-cheek, I have um, suggested that maybe what we should do is start a new movement uh, instead of intelligent design uh, or guided evolutionism. We should call it intelligent uncertainty. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think actually that's that's the best place to come to, that... that um, all positions, it seems to me, as they currently are, have deep, deep problems, and perhaps we should maintain a thoughtful, critical, uh, and biblical uncertainty about precisely the way that human beings and life evolved on the planet, and about the the nature of evil, and the, the fallenness of evil, and the, the brokenness of creation. Yeah, I think that, that, that certainly makes a lot of sense to me. I, I mean, I think, you know, you can look at stuff in scripture which you know the, we talked about it in a previous episode about the idea that the you know the lamb slain before the foundation of the world uh, you know there's little hints and chinks there of light that shining through scripture which you know i i think it's clear it's clear orthodox teaching that jesus jesus's death and resurrection were historical events that happened in a particular place in a particular year in history that is obvious and and unarguable in my view but at the same time they have uh, resonance, spiritual salvific resonance that that spreads out in all directions in space and time and breaks out of space and time, and and who knows? I I, I would, as I say, be very hesitant to come down on a particular point because I think, frankly, God and His wisdom has decided not to give us enough kind of knowledge and at this point to, to to know this for sure. But I wouldn't be shocked to discover that in some sense the fall is of a similar pattern, and maybe is both there was an actual human being. <laughs> Uh, an Adam, uh, a kind of early Homo sapiens who did uh, choose to to rebel against God, but at the well, same time Eve. the fall. Sorry, and don't an forget Eve. Eve. And an Eve, <laughs> but at the same time the fall is is both a a local historical space time event and yet also a cosmic uh, event which spans time and the universe. And, and it's not like if if that particular Adam had been feeling different, got out of bed on the other side of the bed that day, we would still be living in in kind of pre. <laughs> pre-lapsarian bliss like we were always going to fall and jesus was always going to die uh and in some sense these events have already happened before god even you know said let there be light but yeah fundamentally it's mysterious it's uncertain and what feels to me most important is to hold on to the those core truths um which aren't up for debate which is that is god the creator yes is did god create a good creation yes uh, and has he redeemed it in the in the person of Jesus through his death and resurrection? Yes. Uh, and as long as we cling on to these truths, I think the we can continue having fascinating debates as both our kind of biblical interpretation develops over time, and frankly, as we continue to kind of delve further into the book of science and pull out more truths and find more pages that God has written for us to to understand there as well. Yeah, as we come to the end of this episode, I'd just like to um, quote a a verse which uh, I remember John Stott uh, quoting on a number of occasions in, in a similar kind of context, and it's Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow the words of the law. So, in other words, there are secret things which for whatever reason, as human beings, we're perhaps never going to fully know. 
and we have to accept that those things belong ultimately to only to God. But at the same time, there are things that are revealed, and the things that are revealed belong to us. We can grasp them, and they we should pass them on to our children, um, so that we can be obedient, so that we can become the people that God made us to be. And so, trying to discern the difference between the things that are secret, the things that are hidden, and the things that are revealed. Uh, is of central importance and I think we're perhaps coming to the consensus that there's quite a lot about the origins of humanity, the nature of uh, speciation, the nature of life on the planet uh, and the nature of the evil and fall. These things are to some extent still secret and hidden but what we've got to grasp are the foundations of God's uh, significance, of his love, of his uh, redemption which is available for fallen human beings for the uh, and the nature of the foundations of the reveal the revelation which has been given to us in scripture yeah couldn't agree more couldn't agree more um uh we're going to upload a, a handout that you prepared haven't have aren't we onto the website and it will be available um uh it's com, which kind of goes kind of sketches what some of what we talked about goes into a bit more detail and, and that includes at the end some some helpful books um if you want to people want to kind of dig further into this discussion uh, from different perspectives so you can kind of think about a bit more about the adam and eve and common descent and uh, natural selection intelligent design and some of these ideas um so do do look, look at that on, on john's website but we'll uh, draw this episode to inclusion thanks very much john um i hope it's been interesting and informative to you listening at home Um, And we'll be back next week with a new episode of Matters of Life and Death. But uh, um, until then, um, goodbye. You've been listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.